0: this is grounded a podcast from michigan sugar company grounded is intended to explore our history the tradition that's made us great and the ideas to drive us into the future grounded is hosted by jim ruleman michigan sugar company executive vice president and now
1: here's jim ruleman welcome to grounded this afternoon we have with us bill herford and his son adam herford They are part of W.A. Hereford & Sons, Inc. in Elkton, Michigan. The farm encompasses a very large beef operation, plus cash crops such as corn, sugar beets, alfalfa, navy beans, and and white wheat. They have five full-time family members on their farm, plus several other full-time employees. Their farm is also part of a feed LLC with five other farms. Gentlemen, thanks for coming.
2: Thanks for having us.
1: Bill, maybe we'll start with you. When I look at W.A. Hereford and Sons, Inc., it appears to be a really large enterprise, and maybe you can start our story or our program today just by sharing your upbringing and how you got into farming.
0: Yeah, okay. Uh, My dad was, uh, well, actually my grandfather farmed, and also then my dad. When I graduated from high school, he was farming about 500 acres, which in 1970, that was pretty good size operation. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was yeah. a very good farmer, very particular, and a man of very high integrity. I really didn't know I wanted to farm though until I went to college. I kind of thought maybe I wanted to be an engineer or do something else and once I got into college I really missed it and realized that that's what I wanted to do. Okay. And uh, my dad ran into some health problems and I never did finish college. <laughs> I went back and I had to come back here and Went at it, and uh, my brother joined us. He's younger when he graduated from high school. He joined the operation, and uh, him and I have been partners ever since.
1: You said you started with how many acres, Bill?
0: About 500. Around 500.
1: Around yeah. 500? As you and your brother were taking over the farm for your dad, and you were looking into the future, what what were some of the challenges at that time? And as you looked at growing your farm, how did you go about it? How did you decide when to acquire land, when to get bigger, when to buy equipment. Was there, was there a formula to that? Or was it just a, a gut feel of this is the time to, to buy land, or this is the time to expand, or maybe we should get involved into that?
0: Starting off with, I would say it's kind of a gut feel. But as I went along, it was, it was more of experience from previous experiences, getting whacked a couple of times. Mm-hmm. When I started in the, early seventies we had we'd bought a farm, our first farm we bought, we paid six hundred dollars an acre for. Which at that time was a little high, but it was a really nice farm with a kind of a small cattle setup and, and we spent a lot of money uh building a bigger cattle set up and fixing that up and it had a nice house on it and my brother ended up living there and he lives there today yet. Okay. But we had really good two or three really good years there in seventy four, five and six. Prices were really good. Navy beans were really
1: good. Okay.
0: And land prices shot unbelievably. Uh, by the end of the 70s, they were up close to 3,000 an acre. Wow. Of course, my brother and I didn't own a lot of land, and we bought, we had a chance to buy a 40 from my uncle, 2,900 an acre. I went to the bank to get the money, and the banker says, Well, you know, down the road here, there's another ninety. We'll just put that together for you, and you'll have you'll have a good start. Twenty nine hundred. Yeah. I come home, and my dad says, oh, "No, of course he had a cosign mm-hmm. because we didn't we didn't have much money." Sure. And my dad said, and "There's no way you'll never pay for that." And, and he said, "Be patient; it'll come back down." And we bought the forty, mm-hmm. but not the rest of it. Okay. And what a good thing that was! It probably would have ruined us yeah. you know, even though it wasn't that big acreage mm-hmm. because it did come back down okay in 81 i bought a farm for 1500 i mean it retracted it's that fast and it wow. retracted more after that and okay. i saw that several times when we got into the the 90s we saw some land down to 800 bucks an acre you know, wow. and, uh, and of course now it's actually it, it's beyond uh, belief what it's worth now mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah it was kind of some experience and some gut feeling and we bought land when we when we knew we could make the down payment, and uh, when the uh, the payment was equal to interest or equal to land rent,
1: mm-hmm. a little
0: less. We thought that was a good that was a good, good deal to buy
1: it. Okay. How many acres do you farm today? Uh, around six thousand seven hundred. Six thousand seven hundred. So, Bill, as you as you start out at five hundred and you start growing your farm enterprise, um, you're with your brother and you're you're raising your family and your kids and. Is there a time in your career where you're starting to think that this operation could really grow, and do you start thinking about getting your kids involved, or is it more of I'm going to focus on my farm and the kids can do what they want if they want to stay on the farm? They can. If they don't, they don't have to. How How did that dynamic with your family and your kids and a family farm start to affect your decisions going forward?
0: Well, it started when... The- the kids were young. We just took them with us wherever, when we went, if, if they were able to go, we took them. I see. I mean, they were out in the tractors with my brother and I all the time. My nephew farms with us also, my brother's boy. Same with him. Okay. When we'd be out planting, cultivating, they'd be in the tractor with us all the time. Okay. And I think that's what gives you the confidence that, you know what, these guys are going to want to farm. Mm -hmm. And they had interest to be with us too, where if, they weren't there or they were out doing something else, why, then you'd wonder. But no, I think we figured pretty much once them guys got in high school and saw their mm-hmm. interest and, in, I mean, when they're in a hurry to get home to jump in a truck or something, well, you know yeah. that. You know that they're invested,
1: huh? Right. Yeah. yeah. Adam, maybe we'll turn the, some of the questioning to you. Growing up, what did you see in your father and what kind of circumstances stuck in your mind as as he grew his farm? as a farm kid, were you looking at your dad and say, I, I, I want to be like him someday? Or were you thinking maybe in your younger years, you want a career elsewhere? What, what kind of what were your thoughts when you were growing up and as you went through high school and, and beyond?
2: Well, I think growing up, you know, we were with our dads a lot, riding a tractor and seeing the hard work it took to make a crop. And, you know, I think that's one of the things we learned, work hard, do it right. And, You'll see the you know, the results of your work at the end of the end of the year or the end of the day. And uh there's just opportunity for us when we were younger. I mean, uh, a lot of the farms in the area, there was a lot of small farms retiring, growth was happening. And back then when we didn't have roundup ready beats, if you did a good job, people noticed. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh so we just took what they were doing and kind of ran with it.
1: Okay. Did you ever try anything outside of the farm? I mean, when you, I know you went to school was, and I know you've been in a lot of national organizations. Was there ever a temptation to do something off the farm?
2: Yeah. um, The best thing that happened to me is I, when I graduated college in 2001, I came home and it was probably some of the worst farming that we've had. Michigan Sugar was just going to become a co-op. We had two bad crop years in a row and we got done working that fall and my dad told me to go get a job, so <laughs> <laughs> yes. there, wasn't, there wasn't really much of a choice <laughs> So um, it just so happened, though, um, with my degree in agribusiness management, the local CPA firm that uh, Nitschke and Foppel was looking for some part-time help. So I interviewed there, and I got a seasonal job working with farms on accrual farm financials, and uh, the team there took me under their wing, and I worked there for, I think, five tax seasons.
1: Was your experience there something that you took with you on the farm? Yeah, here? I
2: think, to me, I look at it as like furthering my education. It was a chance for me to get off the farm, work in an environment that, well, it wasn't family. It was, mm-hmm. you know, employees and you had a task at hand to do. And uh, and it also helped, the experience itself, help our organization. It The unfortunate thing mm-hmm. is, is when I graduated from college, my mom passed away, and I got thrown in at doing the, the office work at the farm at a pretty young age. And that is where I really learned what the numbers meant, how financials work, and how to take
1: things to the next level. When you look at farm economics back then versus farm economics today, how much different is it?
2: Well, when I started in 2001 we, and today, it's actually it's similar. Okay. We've been through the good times in the 2008 to 2013, but now back then, I mean, it was a struggle. It was a struggle to survive, and every every decision that we made back then had to be calculated and had to be justified. And today's environment with uh, weather, disease, and just high cost of everything, it's it kind of reminds me of back then.
1: Okay. When you watched your dad and maybe your uncle growing up, what types of things did you see in them that that you learned from and maybe looked at them and said, I I aspire to be like them in that way?
2: Well, I think it was just the passion for agriculture. You know, when you look at just taking pride in your work, doing what's right, and at the end of the day, just being into what you're doing. Because if you're not into what you're doing, it's hard to keep uh, going every day and being the best you can be. Right.
1: So, Bill, maybe we'll turn some questions back to you with a family farm where there's multiple family members involved how do you manage the different personalities and the roles of of each member it seems like that might be a difficult task and i guess furthermore how do you separate the business aspect of the farm from quote unquote family or or is it all one does it all become one i, I guess i've always wondered you know in a family farm enterprise with multiple members is is it always business or is it just always family is there a separation between the two
0: i think it's kind of both
1: okay there
0: a lot of it's the business but there's still at the end of the day there's there's a period of time where it's family okay but i think the biggest thing is just figuring out everybody's got a different strength Mm -hmm. on doing something i mean I think first of all you gotta decide who's the boss is gonna be. You gotta have one boss. You can't have five. Right. And nine times out of ten, there's only out of the five one guy that wants to do that. But the other guys have strengths and uh we're pretty diversified, so we have a lot of different divisions more mm-hmm. or less. And yeah. my nephew, he's pretty much in the shop all the time. He likes taking care of equipment and mm-hmm. he's good at it. Yeah. And uh, my other son, he likes to He's in the cattle, and he's an operator. Well, um, both them guys do a lot of a lot of the operating of the
1: big okay. equipment. And,
0: uh, you just got to kind of figure out. Like my brother and I, he he didn't really want to be the manager. I see the guy in the office. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't like that. He'd rather be out operating equipment. So we always got along good that way. Okay, he didn't want my job, and some days I wanted him.
1: <laughs> too bad. Yeah, and <laughs> I get it. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yep. That's,
0: I think that's how you got to make it work. I think if there's two guys that want to be the, the manager or the boss, then you've
1: got a problem. I see. But
0: we always, when there's a decision, we have a meeting and we all talk it over. I mean, it's a unanimous decision. It's not like one guy makes that decision. I mean, you can't have that either. I mean, it's okay. We all sit down and
1: uh, so how do you like when you're when you're growing numerous crops and you're. You also have a cattle business and, and feed business that you're participating in. Is the manager or the top guy? How do you how do you assign duties and how do you how do you allow them to to grow? And I mean, do, do you allow them to make those decisions within certain pieces of your business, or I guess I'm curious how how that works.
0: You got to let them make the, some decisions and go mm-hmm. with
1: it. Okay. Maybe I can step in here.
2: Okay. <laughs> He's more of that guy now than I. <laughs> All right. Um. I guess uh, you know when you have the diversity that we have and the different people that you work with, the biggest thing that I've learned is being in the, I guess we'll call it the leader position, is you got to let them, got to let them roll with it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, because they're going to learn. I mean, people learn from their mistakes, and you got to give them the ability to make that decision. And try not to come across as you're second guessing them, like if my brother Luke has run the planner, well, then he's running the planner. I'm not going to tell him how to run his planner. I might tell him what field to go to, okay, but it's his job to run the planner okay now when there's a question, let them bring that question out, and you know when you took take a look at the other parts of our business, not every family member is involved in that business every day but we have some key employees and you pretty much we want to stress we treat them the same way. Okay. Um, it's they take ownership in it and if they you know if we can get to that level with an employee that's why they're here. That's we want them for the long haul. I got gotcha. you. And with the Feed LLC that one's a you know that one's a unique deal because you got five farms. They each own they've successful farms doing their own thing and we come together and we work together to get feed in these dairies and get everything else done that's with it. And, uh, you know, that's just one of those things where we try to have meetings quarterly, get some stuff out in the open, and just keep the lines of communication open. And let the same thing goes there. The people that are good at it, let them roll with it. Okay.
1: And go from there. All right. Let's maybe direct our attention specific to to the sugar beet crop. It, It just seems to me like, if you're in the sugar industry or you're a grower or your employees, that's, that's a well-talked-about crop. Bill, maybe you can explain to me when you guys first got into sugar beets and, and what it meant to your rotation or what it means still today.
0: Well, actually, my grandfather got into beets, I don't know when, 1910
1: or something. Really? <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah. They hauled them in wagons up to Elkton here and then threw them off onto a train car. But okay. Beets have always been very important to us. Probably our number one crop. I mean, as far as time and and concern,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and over the years, been the most profitable crop. I know when I started, my brother and I always did quite a bit of custom work, and you know, beets was just a big part of our our whole deal,
1: mm-hmm. and uh,
0: and that's the way it's been, and that's the way it is today mm-hmm. on our
1: farm. You served 15 years on the Michigan Sugar Company Board of Directors, and. 10 years on um, an organization called the ASGA, and now Adam is, is also is a board member on Michigan Sugar Company's board of directors. What inspired you to be a board member? What was the driving force for you to to be on the board and take that leadership position?
0: Well, simply because I knew if if we didn't get the uh, co-op started, we were out of the beat business.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, it was an effort by many people A lot of hours, and I remember coming home every night. You know, sometimes three, four days a week, Mm -hmm. you'd be real, feel real good about it. One day and the next day, ah, crap. You know, right right in the toilet again. Mm -hmm. uh, It worked out, and I, I still think today it's the best thing there is for us. I mean, we're taking our, we're taking the crop right from the field right to the shelf, and that's Mm -hmm. that's amazing to me. And uh, and we got to take care of it, and we got to make sure. Keeps going. Okay. And being on the board, I mean, uh, as I went along, I learned a lot and had really good guys serve on the board through mm-hmm. the years. Yeah. All of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, as a grower, if you're not on the board, I can see where things may not look like they should be. But if you got good, smart guys on the board that are dedicated to the sugar industry, they're looking out for you. They see things you don't see. And uh, it's okay. We got a great management team and we have right from the get go. I think we're one of the best co-ops there is. Matter of fact, I know we are. Thank you. Because I remember when we started the co-op, we used to think, man, if we could just get up to where Crystal is (laughs) on a payment. (laughs) And and over you know, it wasn't long, we were right with them and I think we beat them a couple of
1: years. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: And that's the ultimate measurement. Mm-hmm. i mean i realize you have different weather scenarios in different areas
1: yeah but yeah
0: it's good and i think with the new varieties we got coming and this year the beets look so nice mm-hmm. i think we're kind of got a corner on leaf spot finally mm-hmm. i think we got a real bright future
1: thank you adam you're now on the board and you've been there for a couple of years now i believe what was your desire to be on the board after watching your dad you had to have seen the number of hours it takes and. Him coming home from board meetings, pondering decisions, the future, back in 2002, I'm sure you probably remember, you know, when we were becoming a co-op and coming out of bankruptcy with Imperial Sugar Company, and seeing his leadership and the men back then who who took our company from a publicly held company to, to a cooperative, what did you see and, and what made you want to be a board member?
2: Well... Beats are a main driver of our operation, and when Dad decided to retire from the board of directors, we actually had a meeting in our shed, and it was a group decision for me to run for the board. So we decided that was the best. I mean, I was interested in it, but I needed also the farm to you know, be behind me because it is a time commitment, and they are, and we have to be involved in the industry because it's a big part of our operation. You have to put time into... Your main drivers, your operation, for them to be successful, and that's just mm-hmm. another part of the step is putting the time in, going to the board meetings, being active, being being on the ASGA board, and just knowing that not only is it important to our operation, but it's important to other people's operations. I just want to be a you know a part of that
1: process. I see. And this is really a question for both of you, as board members and leaders of our cooperative. What was the p- toughest part of that assignment?
2: The toughest part of the assignment is staying the course, and when it's even when it's unpopular, you got to stay the course. You got to leave leave your farmer hat at the farm and represent Mm -hmm. your growers. And sometimes it may not come across as you represent the growers, but we're in it for the long haul, Mm -hmm. and we just got to get through the hard times and enjoy the good times.
1: Okay, Bill, do you have a different opinion of that, or you want to add to it?
0: Uh, No, I. I agree with that. It, okay. uh, like I said before, it's you're sitting in that boardroom and you're getting information that other growers don't get. And mm-hmm. I think if you elect a director, you have to have faith in him. That That's the toughest mm-hmm. part for me is making yeah. a decision and then having other growers call you out on it. And,
1: I see. Uh,
0: you make the best decision you can with the information you have, and you have information that some others don't. Mm-hmm. So... You know, that's, that's the toughest part.
1: As we look at Bill's generation of farming and compare it to yours, Adam, what are the fundamental differences?
2: Well, my dad's generation was, well, that's just the way it is. It's black and white. You're going to mm-hmm. either do it or you're not. Okay. This generation is, my generation is, um, you know, social media is a part of it. Public perception is more of a part of it. People are more visible. When you have that, it's just the things that we do, we have to be clearer on. We have to go the extra mile to make sure that we're communicating it right mm-hmm. and work more on the communication part of it, whereas, I guess, my dad's generation, it's not that they weren't doing it. It's just the avenues to communicate were less. I see.
0: Yeah, back then it was face-to-face. Yeah. If somebody was going to tell you, had a problem with you, they told you. Or now they can give you a cheap shot on the Internet or on Facebook or whatever, and
1: mm-hmm. that that it's a big is different. It is different. So, Adam, how do you, with all of the social media and public perception, how do you, when you know the facts and you, and you know that the decision's the right one, how do you keep the outside influences that don't know everything from challenging your decision?
2: Well, I think uh, we have, obviously, you have a. You know a strong family back here that we talk about a lot. I have uh, people that I call and just to make sure that you know what we're thinking isn't totally out in left field and and try to let the voice of rationale prevail. It's hard to in this environment, and a lot of times is don't be give yourself enough time to think about it and bounce a few ideas off <clears throat> people before we go to some kind of response in the you know in a public forum just to make sure that rationale
1: prevails i gotcha this is the question for both of you both you adam and your father are pretty straightforward men i mean there's really no guessing what you think i mean i remember bill being in board meetings where we debate a question for a half an hour and your dad in one sentence would sum up the discussion and a vote would take place and i respected him greatly for that it we used to debate things for a long time, and debate's always needed. But there comes a point in the debate where we need to get on with the question and, and vote. I see that in in yourself, Adam, and I. it's very clearly in your dad. Where does that confidence and that straightforwardness and faith in yourself to just state what you think and have the confidence that it's the right thing come from where does that come from bill did that come from your dad or is that just come from just self-belief or what 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 is that
0: i think a combination okay i think it's just it's just in you my dad was that way my grandfather was really that way (laughs) (laughs) yeah but uh if you really i mean you have to think about it Mm -hmm. for sometimes a short period sometimes longer but i mean if if it's the right thing.
1: And, and you believe in it.
0: Right. And it's mm-hmm. got high integrity to it. There's no shady areas in it. Then go for it. I see. I mean, that's what you need to do. Mm-hmm. And if that's a mistake, then the next thing you need to do is admit it and take.
1: Take responsibility for the mistake. Right. Yeah. Make it right. Yeah. Adam, do you want to respond to that? Yeah. I mean, it, um, for me,
2: even at my age, I've been doing our. I guess our office and financial affairs for just about uh, be 19 years this year. So a lot of it for me, how I got to this point today, was just learning the mistakes we made here. Whether we didn't contract <laughs> cattle or, you know, we missed out on an opportunity here and there, it's learning from that. And then the confidence comes from the experience. It's working on our mistakes, admitting when we're wrong. I mean... We're going to be wrong. We've been wrong before mm-hmm. and admitted it. We're going to be wrong again. We'll admit it then too. Yeah. And then the others we've had some experiences on the farm. We were involved in a peer group. That was for me. I was involved in that personally. That helped me kind of see farming outside the thumb of Michigan. Got to travel around the country a little bit. Got to see what farming was like outside the thumb of Michigan. Mm-hmm. And uh, each time that I left thinking that there's a better place to farm, there isn't. So can you
1: elaborate on that a little bit? Well
2: you know, uh, our crop diversity, our ability for our crops to the crops that we can grow, that you have to travel a long ways to find that. And right now in the Thumb of Michigan, when they were up at our farm, they just they envied the fact that we had the crop mix that we had. And that one really helped me know that we're on the right track here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got our challenges. Yep. But in the big picture, this is where we want to be. Okay.
1: From your perspective as a grower, what does the next level of our cooperative look like? And and maybe how do we get there? Um and, and talk to a, that question maybe from you know from a grower perspective or or maybe even a even a board perspective.
2: I think this can come from both my grower and board perspective is 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 how do we maintain our growers independence but yet work together for the common goal
1: That's a great great comment Bill do you have any thoughts on that
2: uh,
0: I'd have to agree with him that if that's the way we got to go I mean we got to work together
2: I mean when you look at the grower diversity of Michigan sugar big and small we all got something to offer
1: Mhm how do we maintain that independency yet think like a group well i think that we're we're gonna have to think a little bit
2: outside the box on this one because this is this is new this is something that is gonna you know make our co-op viable for the future Mm -hmm. and every farmer is pretty independent and we have to um, embrace that but at the same time know that the cost of what we're doing is getting higher and how do we how can we minimize some of that for some of the smaller growers but look at some of the bigger growers and what they're doing and we don't have to do exactly what they're doing
1: mm-hmm. we just
2: have to see can we adopt some of that and pass
1: that along yeah yeah bill when you look back at at your career as a agricultural leader knowing where you came from and and where you are today and the involvement that you have with your kids and your family is it as rewarding as it seems oh yeah yeah it is yep. can you elaborate on that a little bit
0: uh, uh, for me it's just it's it's my life yeah uh it's it's almost like a hobby for me okay it's what i want to do and it's
1: uh, so would you say so going to work every day is enjoyable maybe not fun but every day but yeah. enjoyable yes okay yeah.
0: there's you know you got days after you got a three inch rain and you got a lot of <laughs> work to do that it, that's not fun yeah at least we got a plan how to handle
1: it Yep. yeah and,
0: uh, yeah it's been a way of life for me and my brother yeah and, uh, it's that's the way we are i mean it's just it's our life we don't mm-hmm. we probably should go into other areas and do other things but we don't this is yep. what we do
1: and and you're damn good right. at it yeah, yep. yeah. thank you Adam, any any parting comments from you?
2: Yeah, for me, it's Brandon and Luca. Probably tell you they get a little worried when I start operating equipment. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm the guy that comes in with the pickup. With the, I hit a deer and it's all smashed. <laughs> but you know, but they're uh, they're good with that, and I I enjoy working on the plan. Mm-hmm. So I get to do right now. We're at that sweet spot where everybody's hopefully getting to do what they want to do. Okay. And hopefully we can, you know, and that's something we got to stay focused on and work on because that's what makes it really tick.
1: Mm-hmm. And not
2: only for family members, but employees too. Yeah. You know, or yeah, anybody involved in our operation, you know, we've got, we've got good consultants here, whether it's working with our crops, working with our finances, legal matters, you know, they all want to be a part of it. And hopefully, going forward we can keep that culture okay
1: i think we're going to wrap this one up with that it's been a great great conversation with both of you my respect and admiration for w.a hereford farms is very very high and i just want to thank both of you for participating and um, have a great harvest Thank thank you this has been grounded if you'd like to hear an episode on a specific topic Please email your ideas to grounded
0: at michigansugar.com. Thanks for listening and check back soon for another edition of Grounded.